Now, friends, would you turn with me, please, this evening to that chapter of God's Word that we read, Prophecy of Isaiah and chapter 53, Isaiah chapter 53, and we read again the opening verse. Who hath believed our report? Unto whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Who hath believed our report? Unto whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? wishes to consider these words this evening in their context, and it is simply around the thought that is contained in that opening verse. Who will believe? Who will believe? Now, this chapter, I suppose, it is fair to say of many chapters in the Old Testament is the one that is very well known to us, it has rightly in some way been described as the gospel in Isaiah, the gospel of Isaiah. And many years ago, going round doors in Glasgow, we came across someone that said that he was Jewish. And I remember reading part of this chapter to him and saying, where do you think this is from? And he said, well, that must be from the New Testament. No, friends, it is here in this chapter that speaks so evidently in the Old Testament of the Messiah that was to come. Now the Messiah that has come. And you notice here, in the opening of chapter 53, and, and these words, you'll notice here that there is almost a, a, a weight and a, a care and a concern upon the prophet. Because the words that had just come before uh, in this part of the servant song, as it is known, from verse 13, it, it ends with, with these words, these great high words of climax. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him. For that which had not been told them shall they see. And that which they had not heard shall they consider. And here we reach almost in a way this, this great glorious climax of what the Redeemer would do, this, this Messiah that would come. And in the next verse, when we would think that this would be a report that is believed, Isaiah comes and he says, Who had believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The great Scottish Puritan James Durham, uh, who preached many, many sermons on, on this uh, text alone, 
preached sermons that led to better times and were in better times, uh, could, could say much about this, that even in his own day and in his own generation, that this was the cause of a great discouragement to him. You know, friends, we are here today, and very often we are discouraged. Very often we are discouraged about the, the low state of the church and the, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ as it goes forth. But in better days, they were also discouraged. And they were discouraged because their days were less blessed than the days before. But what you and me must remember this evening is this, that this great gospel, this great report is Christ's word. And this word shall never, never return unto him void. We are not to be a depressed people. We are to be an encouraged people because of the power of our God. I want us to think this evening about three things as they come before us here in this opening verse. And the first thing I want us to consider is this. The report that is spoken of. Who had believed our report? Now, this word report here is, is an important word because it comes from the, the very same verb to, to hear. Who had believed? Who had, who had heard this word as it comes? It, it comes from the word also tidings, and it can mean tidings. Uh, we, we see in Daniel chapter 11 and verse 44, but tidings out of the east and out of the north shall trouble him. Therefore, he shall go forth with great fury to destroy and utterly to make away many. The word tidings there, it comes, it's, it's news that comes. Who will believe this news? Who will believe this report? Jeremiah, in chapter 51 and verse 46, it's the word rumor. It's the word rumor. And you see the, the prophet here is building up this, this great thought that this is the report because it is the preaching of the gospel. The preaching of the gospel is a blessed thing. You know, it is a case, and I was reminding our, our own people of this yesterday. That there can come great calamities upon a nation. There can come wars. There can come conflicts. There can uh, come around a, a, a social incohesion. All of those things are great problems upon a nation. One of the greatest problems upon a nation is famine. We don't know what that is like here. When a famine comes upon a nation, it, it devastates a land. People become emaciated. People die. People are, are hungry. But you know what the Lord says? That the greatest conflict, the greatest trial that comes upon a land is when there is a famine, not of food, but a famine 
of the word of God. A famine of the word of God. Oh, friends, would we not this evening rather go without food, rather to go throughout this land where there is hunger and starvation, if it meant that the Lord withdrew not his word from the land. The preaching of the gospel is a precious thing. And that is why here in this congregation you will have that great weight and that great desire placed on your heart over these next days and weeks to call one to be a herald and to be a preacher of the word. Who shall believe our report? It is the foolishness of preaching that God uses. God doesn't use youth clubs. God doesn't use uh, the various things that are now associated with the, uh, the so-called modern presentation of the gospel. He uses the report. He uses the truth. He uses the word as it comes forth. Who had believed our report? Now you'll notice here it says our report. Who is the one that is speaking here in this text? Is it, is it the Lord that is meant here? Who has believed our report? Is it the Lord that is speaking? Who had believed our report? Some take that view. Some take that view that it is, it is Israel that is spoken about here. Is it the prophet that is speaking? Well, friends, first of all, let me say that ultimately it is the Lord that inspires the word. But first and foremost, it is not the Lord that speaks here in this sense of he is saying who had believed our report. This verse here is quoted twice in the New Testament. It is quoted, uh, first of all, in John chapter 12 and verse 38. That the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake the Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed. It is Isaiah that is speaking. It is referred to again in Romans chapter 10 and verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah said, Lord, who hath believed our report? So the prophet comes, and he's coming unto the Lord, and he says, who hath believed our report? You see, as the word of God goes forth, Isaiah doesn't know who is believing. As the word of God goes forth tonight, we don't know who is believing. And we ask that question in a, in a day of discouragement and in a day of being cast down. Lord, who had believed our report? It is the prophet here that comes as a representative of all of those who have gone before with the gospel and all who will yet come with the gospel. Who had believed? Our report. 
Where does it come from? It's our report. And yet it is not his own. It is not his own. Friends, if ministers of the gospel ascend a pulpit and bring their own report, you will be still dead in your sins, and so will I. One of the great problems of the age is this, that there can arise, and I'm not now speaking about the world at large, I'm speaking about the professing church of Christ, there can arise a great danger. There can be cult followings of even those who bring the glad tidings. Remember, that is not something that is new. Remember the apostle warns of this, that there were those who said, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos. So there, there was uh, a a gathering round, and a, a host around Paul, and a host around Apollos. And what was Paul saying? Oh, he says, it doesn't matter. As long as it is around Jesus Christ. And he is the one that is preached. And he is the one that is proclaimed. This gospel that comes, this truth that comes, it is that which comes from heaven itself. We know why the gospel has come. We know why this this covenant of grace has been unfolded. We know that our parents and the the first covenant fell. We, We know all of that. How often you have heard of that. We know that sin came into the world. We know all of that. And yet, friends, the Lord is making demands upon the lives of men and women. He's making demands upon the lives of young people. And you know what the word of God tells. It tells us to to flee. It tells us to, to come to Jesus Christ as he is set forth. And yet we know from the truth of the word of God that no man cometh unto the Father except he be drawn. And you see, we're, we're faced with this great conflict that we, we must come and we cannot come. And if I remember aright, I think it was Robbie Duncan who said that the only way to untie the knot That I must come, but I cannot come, is in Jesus Christ who brings us. Jesus Christ who brings us. You see, there were those here in Isaiah's day, and they heard this great truth, but they wouldn't believe the report. And yet it was the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, 
Is this text speaking to your heart this evening? Is this text being applied to your heart this evening? Maybe it is a case that for many years you have had presented before you the truth of the gospel. And for many years with that intention of closing with with, with Christ as, as your only hope, those years have gone quickly by, like the weaver shuttle. And, and maybe now you're, you're into middle age. Maybe now you're even older. Who have believed our report? But maybe I'm not speaking this evening to an older person. But I'm speaking to a younger person. And friends, I can tell you with experience, and I know the experience of many here, how much heartache would have been saved them in their lives if they had believed this report in the days of their youth. Who had believed our report? Well, there is surely a content of this report. What would be the content of this report? Well, Isaiah unfolds the content of the report, doesn't he? And he unfolds it here in this chapter. What should be the preaching content of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, the preaching content of the gospel of Jesus Christ should dwell upon the sufferings of Christ. All of the sufferings of Christ. Because there is a reason and there is a purpose of of those sufferings. It is that which is to redeem his people. That which is to take them to glory. That which is there as the purchase price. And friends, let me say this to us this evening. It is a concern of the age and it is a hallmark of the age that when men and women and young people, even those who have been on the road for many years as Christians, and they hear of the sufferings of Christ, Oh, how we wish and how we desire that there would be those streams of undistilled water flowing down their cheeks. Because then that is a heart that is tender. And that is a heart that is appreciated. When we hear of what the Redeemer has done for his people, is that so with you? Is it so with me? Or do we listen unmoved? Have we heard it so often? Who had believed our report? It's going to deal with the sufferings of Christ. And here we have brought before us all of those sufferings. 
No one could open up that in one sermon, or possibly even in ten. When we hear of Christ, the surely the, the gospel itself is, is touched in a fourfold way with this. When the word goes forth, it, it, it's going to explain Christ. It's, it's going to bring before your soul and my soul the, the claims of Christ. The claim of Christ in your life and on my life. Remember, he, he has a claim. Your soul is not your own. My soul is not my own. God says all souls are mine. He's the father of spirits. He has a claim upon your life and he has a claim upon my life. And the preaching is to proclaim that truth. The Acts of the Apostles, chapter 10 and verse 43. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Now, I was going to say this later on, but I'll say it now. There is one instance of the Lord giving you a warrant to believe this evening if you have not believed in Jesus Christ and his sufficiency. You know, people come and they, they look for, for many warrants to believe. Some will come and say, well, I haven't got a text to believe. You have no right to a text. What right can you demand of the Lord that he give you anything? You have no right. I have no right. But there is our warrant to believe that whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. This gospel will have the foundation and groundwork of Christ in its preaching. The gospel must be all of Christ. It must not engage in social matters. That's a different realm. It must be the Redeemer that is lifted up. And if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. And when Christ is lifted up, so it will be before those who are led to believe. The third thing is this, that Christ is the great end of the preaching of the word. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5. For we preach not ourselves, not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. And he is the power and the life of the preaching. We pray for many things for the work of the kingdom. And friends, I, of course, encourage you to do that. We pray in these days, as, been, as has been touched by our day of humiliation and prayer yesterday, that the Lord will send 
uh, men into the harvest field because it is indeed white unto harvest. And we pray for that. But we pray for an outwork of the Spirit of God. An outpouring of His Spirit. Because laborers will go forth. But if the Spirit is not pleased to bless, there will be no blessing. And so, friends, we pray. And we pray in these days that there will be preaching, even poor preaching with power. Not powerful preaching with no power. But even the poorest of preaching with power. Many of you will have read of Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards, the great New England preacher in the 1700s. Edwards might be regarded today as those that few would go to listen. He wasn't a great orator. He wasn't a great man in the pulpit. He, he read every word of his sermon, and his eyesight was so poor that he couldn't read it very well. And so as he held the light in one hand and a script before his face in the other, that is how he preached. And out of that church in New England, they had to remove the gable end of the wall where men and women came to hear Edwards preach. What was that? That was the power of the Spirit. Friends, that's what we need in these days. When the Spirit moves with power in the hearts and in the lives of men and women. Of course, Robert Murray McShane made those famous words memorable to us. What do my people need most? Was it his preaching? A great preacher he was. No, it wasn't. Was it his work? As a pastor, a great pastor that he was, no, it wasn't. What was it that his people needed most? His people needed most his holiness. And friends, in these days, we pray that the Lord will indeed bless those that he has raised up with holy lives and with the power of the Spirit of God. The report that is spoken about here, but you'll notice, secondly, the Lament that is brought before us. The lament that is brought before us. And he says, who hath believed? See, Isaiah was saying in his day that believers were rare. Who had believed? He was also reminding those in, in his days that no doubt there was a, a, a warning to, to false professors. Who had believed? See, here we are seeing, aren't we, the heart of the prophet. We're seeing the heart of the minister coming forth here. Oh, friends, whoever it is in the will of the Lord that this congregation will elect in the forthcoming days, I have no doubt that this 
can be said of him. That he will be a man who will have a great weight upon his shoulders, as every minister of the gospel must. He will be a man that you will never know that weight of calling and that burden that is laid upon his heart. You will never know. Because his work will not just be seen here in the pulpit three times a week. His work will not merely be seen as he goes in and out amongst the people in a pastoral way. His great work will be a work upon his knees, praying for your souls, bringing before his Father in heaven that weight that has been laid upon him. You will know, we pray, what it is when you come to sign that call if we progress to that stage. What are the words of the call? that you will be asked to sign, that you entreat that man to take the charge of your soul. And he, if he is called of God at all, will be a man that has that great weight upon his heart. There will be times that he will be in a study, not merely studying the word, but he will be upon his knees praying for you individuals in the congregation, praying for your souls, praying for your cares, praying for your concerns, praying for your difficulties. And he'd be praying for those that they would believe. The heart will be a heart that is heavy. I, Isaiah comes here and as he's bringing this word to us. You can almost feel in these words that he's, he, he's preaching to a, an empty audience. Who is it, he said? Who is it that believes our report? There will be the fewness of those who will believe. But you see, this message was, is a message that's going to, to be brought to the multitude. Oh, they will hear, they will see, they will have this truth brought before them. And yet, when we come here and we say that there be few, and Isaiah thinks that there will be few, yet there will be still many. Still many, for the Lord himself will have his people that he will draw by this great word of his. Now, I'm sure that there are many, and they would come here, and they would see reasons to, to reject this word. But be that as it may, we come and we see this question, who had believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? There is a power that is needed. And the power that is needed in the third place is this. And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? What is this arm? Well, we read in Exodus chapter 6 and verse 6, I will deliver them with an outstretched arm. This is not a physical arm that has been spoken about here. 
this is not an arm in, in any way that, that speaks about pressure. This arm of the gospel is the power of the gospel. We read in our question and uh, answer 31 of the shorter catechism, uh, this answer, he that persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. James Durham says that is Christ held out in the gospel. Uh, the great Reformed theologian Ames says, that is Christ held up in the gospel. You see, the gospel is its power. That is the arm of the Lord. That is what brings men and women onto himself. That is the gospel that is going forth to you this evening. That is the gospel that is the hope for this land of Scotland. And friends, this gospel hasn't lost its power. This gospel hasn't lost its power. It's still bringing men and women onto salvation. Christ is still building his church. And we might see, we might see the days of small things. But friends, we are thankful that we are not seeing the days of no things. And as one of the, the worthy elders in Sky once said at a question meeting, he said, how can we despise the days of small things because of God is in it? It cannot be small. It cannot be small. And when God is at work and when he draws a soul unto himself and that soul is changed, that's an almighty work. Oh, there is a time here, I'm sure. And, and we could see this as we would develop this chapter. There is a time here that the prophet maybe sees that this is a work of himself. And he says, who had believed our report unto whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? And then almost there he, he realizes in, in a way in verse 4. Ah, he says, surely. And this is replicating what the men and women of his day were saying. Surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. You see, this was a reproach unto the people of his day, that Christ was suffering and that he was afflicted. How could he be a Messiah if that was so? You remember the malefactors? They said, as, he, as they railed upon him on the cross, if thou be the Christ... Come down, save thyself and us. You see the total futility of it? Had Christ come down from the cross, how would he save them? How could he save them? No, he was a suffering Messiah because he was going to redeem Israel. Who had believed a report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? How do we feel the strength of this word? Well, we are to feel it with power. The word of God is that power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes it. Friends, it is a thought this evening, isn't it? 
of this word as it goes forth. It is not a minister's word. As we said this morning, it is Christ who is speaking. It is his word. Who had believed on it? There are many things that come to discourage us as we are under the gospel and as we are maybe brought into the valley of decision. Many things will come to cast a shadow over our hearts and over our souls. But friends, this must be evidently so, that Christ has come to seek and save those who are lost, those who have been given to him in eternity. And friends, that gospel is God's ordained way. We are not to come with our way. We're not to come in a preconceived way. We're not to, to come and to believe that, that God is to save us in a certain way. Many of you will have heard the late Professor Finnelson preach. And it is told of Professor Finnelson when he was dealing with this issue about uh, how men often believe that they are to have the same experience as someone else. He said, I want you to remember and recall Acts chapter 16. And I want you to imagine now in Acts chapter 16 that what we have here is a question meeting. And for those who, who might be here this evening, visitors perhaps, and you don't know what a question meeting is, it's, it's when men come and are called to give uh, the, of their experience and how the Lord has dealt with their souls. And I want you to, to imagine in Acts chapter 16 of this question meeting at Philippi, and Lydia's there, and, and she speaks about how the Lord has opened her heart. And that's all that she says, that the Lord has opened our heart. And there the Philippian jailer is, is, is there, and he's saying, oh, is, is, this, is this all that has happened? Was there, was there no earthquake? Was there no singing? Was there no shaking? Was there no prison doors open? Of course, Professor Finlayson was, was using an extended illustration. But I suppose, in a way, what he was saying was this. The Philippian jailer's heart was open the very same way as Lydia's heart. And that is what you and I need this evening as a heart that is open. And when the Lord opens a heart, that heart is never closed again. Who had believed 
our report. The Lord deals with us outwardly differently, and yet inwardly, it's exactly the same. May the Lord bless his word to us. Let us pray. Our gracious Lord, as we come before thee this evening once again, at the end of another Sabbath day, we pray that thou would be mindful of us in our frailty, in our weakness, in the sense of our own undoneness. We pray, Lord, that we would see that thou art the one who is with thy word, with the gospel itself, sweeping the floor as the coin is to be found, sending out the shepherd to bring back the lamb. That is the report. Who had believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Gracious Lord, we pray that thou would go before us and continue with us and that thou would follow with thy blessing the feebleness of lips, that thou would, Lord, cast into the back of the forgetfulness of thy people all that was said and done amiss, that they would see none but Jesus Christ in his unsearchable riches. Accept of us now, in his name and for his sake. Amen.